listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Launchpad Podcast, presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I am one of your hosts, Britt, co-host of Step Back Sisterhood, as well as contributor at Apollo Media. My, You can find me on Twitter at Britt Robotista. I'm your second host today, Zach Zola. I've been writing for a few Rockets websites over the past year or so. Now I'm doing a lot of social media stuff for Apollo. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @zackzola1 and be sure to follow the official Apollo Media account at Apollo HOU as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. Well, Zach, yesterday um unfortunately, well as the time of recording cuz most likely this will come out on Wednesday, on Monday we saw another loss by the Houston Rockets. Uh, this time it was, you know, actually a pretty competitive game, but a loss regardless uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies, 110 to 120. Um, what did you think about the um, Grizzlies t- game? Did you take away anything from that? Well, my first takeaway was you opened by saying, unfortunately, it was a loss. Well, I mean, this was one of the closest games we've had in months. So I think there's, there's some positives to take out of it if you look <laughs> at it like that. I mean... This was this was probably one of uh, one of our top five games in two months, uh, only losing by ten points to the to the Grizzlies. So that's great. Um, but no, I there were a lot of positives to take from this game. Mainly, um, I know Kevin Porter Jr. didn't shoot the ball well. He was only five of seventeen from the field and zero of seven from three. But he looked really comfortable in that point guard role in the minutes that he was able to um, take control of the offense. He played thirty six minutes and looked really good conditioning wise in in terms of stamina and and being able to stay on the court and make an impact for the entirety of the game. And then the other big thing was Jay Sean Tate, who is, you know, exceeding all expectations this year. And he's one of those guys this season that has just made um, watching the Rockets worth it on on a nightly basis. It's fun to watch him play. He's hyper aggressive. He gets better every single game. Um, And I'm really excited to see him grow with the team moving forward. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think um, our Jashan Tate, who had 24 points, one assist and and seven rebounds, like he played really well. Uh, I feel like I've heard a number of people compare him to Draymond Green. And I think it's probably a little bit early to say that. And I, I'm actually a little bit bitter with saying a Draymond Green comparison, but he really <laughs> has shown growth from both the offensive end and the defensive end, you know, scoring a career high in 24 points. Um, it's just awesome to see him play as well as he's doing. And I definitely am cheering for the um, Tate for uh rookie of the year chance that folks have well the other thing is um jay sean tate took nine three-point attempts in the grizzlies game and now i don't i don't have the stats up i don't know like if that's been his most attempts from three-point line yet this season but it's that seems like a very high number for him he's usually more in the the four to five attempts per game range at most he only made three out of nine but moving forward do you think that you'd like to see him attempt more threes like he did last night yeah, so that was his highest um, amount of threes for the season. Um, I think that since this is a development season, it's definitely worth him to increase the um, 
three-point volume as long as his form is looking better. And I think the, especially the last few games, I feel like his three-point shooting form has been a lot more better um, as well as a lot quicker. Cause I think one of the things that has caused him issues is that his um, release has been relatively slow compared to a lot of other three point shooters and just shooters in general in the league. If he can speed that up a little bit more while maintaining, you know, an improved um, stance, it's going to help out a whole bunch when it comes to, um, you know, being able to rely on him to make threes. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that 33% is something we should necessarily want him to have every game. We probably want to see something a little bit more, but I'm happy that he's not um, gun shy when it comes to shooting as much anymore. And I don't think he never has been, but at least on the three point um, shooting, he has been a little bit shy about it. So it's good. It's just that I would like to see a slightly in um, increase in his percent or percentage that is being made yeah I mean I like what you say about him not being shy like there was it was it was a couple weeks ago at this point but Matt Bullard made a comment during the game about how Jay Sean Tate has played professional basketball before and how so that he doesn't play scared he has that experience that not a lot of other rookies have of actually playing in a professional league for a full season and he had that opportunity to kind of hone his skills on a professional level and and really take control of the game in that sense. So coming into the NBA, he doesn't have the same hesitancy that a lot of other rookies have, especially for an undrafted guy. He's coming in kind of, you know, he's shooting, he's handling the ball, he's playing aggressive defense. He's really doing everything and more that you need from a guy like him. I mean, I think that's just like the extra level of experience that he has compared to most players his age. Yep, for sure. And I think another person we probably have to discuss is um, one of the two players that we, well, actually both of them played yesterday, which I, I completely blanked out about, but both Kelly Olenek as well as Averly Bradley um, both played today um, or yesterday. Olenek actually played for his second game and Avery Bradley played for his first one. Um, Olenek had the um, team high of 25 points, uh, two assists and nine rebounds. And he his passing continues to be really fun to watch. Um, I don't know if I can compare him to Larry Bird like that um, meme shows him, but I, I'm excited to see <laughs> another you know playmaking center around. Uh, what do you think? I've I've heard, yeah, I've heard Larry Bird comparisons. I've heard Nikola Jokic comparisons. I'm hearing everything. I mean, I'm going to start the campaign for Kelly Olenek for All-NBA at the rate he's <laughs> I mean, 25 points uh, in that game um, most recently. I mean, this is not something that we expected from the Victor Oladipo trade when we got Kelly Olenek as our main centerpiece return. I don't think any of us even really expected him to get that that many minutes going forward. Um, so seeing him play 34 minutes last night and score 25 points, obviously a lot of that has to do with the increased usage with Christian Wood out. Um, but I'm seeing a lot from him that makes him very valuable and at the very least a really good trade piece moving forward um, that he wasn't that a value that he didn't necessarily hold a week ago. Yeah. And I guess on the other hand, um, I was reading an article earlier today from Lashard Brinkley, who's also a contributor here at Apollo Media um, on overtime or heroics, if I can actually talk today, that um, he thinks that potentially Kelly Olenek would be a good piece to keep um, just for, you know, a number of reasons, including that having, you know, that veteran presence to help the young, you know, guys get, you know, 
more experience um, with folks that have actual experience in the league would be worthwhile. Um, but I, I think that it, when it comes to Kelly, whatever path that the team chooses to go towards, whether to, you know, eventually, you know, trade him or to keep him as a veteran presence, I, I think at least right now he has shown that he can has more value than what people thought even a couple of days ago. I mean, in fact, uh, when it comes to, Oladipo, he hasn't even played a game for the Heat yet. Um, he has been, you know, unavailable. So at least Olenek has been more available than um, Oladipo has been, although that may change, you know, relatively quickly. The one thing that's sort of concerning is that last, um, unlike the previous game where he shot 66% at or from the three-point um, line, he shot 0% this game versus the Grizzlies, <laughs> which is not necessarily the funnest thing to see. Um, and I guess it sort of goes back to, um, I was actually on Locked on Rockets with Jackson. Um, and, he, you know, he mentioned that, you know, one of the contributors from Locked on uh, Heat mentioned that he can be, or Kelly Olenek, that is, can be extremely streaky. Um, that's the definition of extremely streaky, <laughs> um, to have that be a, dramatic change um as for avery bradley he was a minus 15 which was the worst um for the team um and he only had well he had three three assists two steals um and three points um and three uh or and two rebounds i mean I, I guess it is what it is. He only played 10 games during his time in Miami. I don't know if it's going to be the same thing here in Houston, but I, I guess at least that's an additional person who is available, available to play. Yeah, and, and one more note on Olenek, like you said, he's actually having the worst three-point shooting percentage season of his career by far this season. But yeah, Avery Bradley, obviously not a very good game against the Grizzlies. I don't really see his... I, I don't really see his role in the league, let alone on the Rockets at this point in his career. I mean, he was on the Lakers last year and he was injured for the bubble. And I remember a lot of people talking about myself included talking about how that would be a big factor for the Lakers, how they wouldn't be able to throw as many defenders out there. Obviously that did not end up mattering at all. So I don't really know what, what sort of value Avery Bradley has on an NBA roster at this point in his career. But, but like you said, I guess he's, he's just another body for the time being with all our injuries. Yep, for sure. And I think um, one other person I want to talk about um, before I talk about the last topic comes this segment is uh, DJ Augustine played, you know, it really well as um, also, and it's just nice to actually have multiple um, point guards or folks who can, uh, you know, attempt to play point guard during the game. Um, and I, I felt like Augustine, I guess, outside of that sort of weird, I think they called it a fragrant, fragrant foul, um, yeah. because of whatever reason um he played a really good game it's just um i i guess i'm relatively i don't know what exciting if it should be called exciting but um maybe that gets to the point for the end of this segment is it's personally for me it's been pretty difficult to watch the team and also like sort of cheer or boo for them to you know fall down the lottery you know sort of hole to whatever um you know place that they finally land um 
how have you been feeling towards the rockets in general and what is or is not allowing you to be motivated to watch other games Zach? yeah i mean it's it's been brutal like not not knowing whether or not to root for a win or for a loss this is coming after eight straight years of not only making the playoffs but being legit contenders for most of those years and now i've never seen you know, a team, not, not just the Rockets, any team kind of go from that peak to where the team is now that like just downturn so quickly to, to one of the bottom feeders of the league. And it's just weird as a fan to not be used to that. I mean, I was, I was a huge fan during the Kyle Lowry, Kevin Barton years. Um, but that was such a different feel to it. Those teams were competitive. Um, there was never any like prospect of tanking. So that was a different kind of feeling with this team. It's like, even if we didn't want to tank, we, we couldn't because we're like, we just don't have enough good players on the team. We're not healthy enough. So it's weird. I think that the, the thing with me that I'm struggling with the most is in any other situation, I could happily root for losses. I could find positives with the young players, yada, yada. I think for me, it's just with the new lottery rules. I'm so scared that this is all going to be for nothing. And uh, this whole season is just going to be absolutely useless with those, those 52% odds at best. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think the biggest thing that's so frustrating is that there's a lot of folks who are extensionally excited that they could potentially get the top three seed. And like you said, the change in the lottery rules really disempowered or disincentivize or supposed to disincentivize teams from tanking and I feel like you know there's like some conspiracy theories that say like oh the NBA is going to give the Rockets the number one seed because they've they done won't. this for they won't they won't <laughs> I guarantee they won't. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can necessarily guarantee that they won't because I feel like, you know, in some ways the NBA can be like the WWE when it comes to a lot of the things. But I, oh, I think wow, the one wow. thing is... I mean, but, I, I hope you're right. <laughs> no, I, 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 but the thing is that I don't think that they're actually going to do that. Um, I, I think that when it comes to tanking, the NBA has gotten a lot of you know, dislike towards that and a lot of um, team or a lot of fans or potential fans sort of going away from the NBA. So like, there's no point of them doing that. And that's what, you know, completely stinks about not having full ownership of your pick this season. And why I was hoping that it would be next season where they could tank is because if they fall out of the top four, um, there are good players who are in the top 10 in the lottery, um, but we won't have any chance of that because the pick will go to Oklahoma city and then we'll get whatever, you know, that at this point, I can't even articulate fully how the pick is going to land, but essentially it could be anywhere from, you know, the teens to the twenties to nothing at all. So that's the frustrating bit. Right. It's, it's like in another world where we could, we have our pick no matter what this season could be kind of, you know, a fun reset for us as fans, you know, kind of lose all the stress of having to deal with competing every year and, the stress of all the media attention and we could kind of just sit back and just watch some young players grow and, and maybe have some fun games thrown in there. But with that added pressure now of potentially losing a pick completely, um, it just feels weird to watch these games and, and just knowing like this could all be meaningless right now. Like if we don't get a top four pick in this year's draft, we're going to have to do this all over again next year. It may be even worse. Yeah, for sure. And I guess speaking of the reason why this season has essentially, you know, 
cause or caused us to feel like it's potentially meaningless is because of the James Harden trade. And we just had, there was recently a press conference with Raphael Stone, who is the GM of the Rockets discussing that trade, as well as a few other topics that we want to talk about in the second segment, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. And we're back here at the Launchpad Podcast presented by Apollo Media. If you enjoy the show, please do us a favor and drop a review or leave some stars. So in this second segment, we're going to talk about, you know, Raphael Stone as a GM. He just gave a press conference the other day. It was, I think, his first media availability, really, since right after the Harden trade. And he talked a bit about the Oladipo trade, some some other recent things within the Rockets organization. One of the big comments that he made was talking about James Harden um, in relation to his performance as a GM. He said that you can't really judge that trade until – 10 years from now, that's even three years after the last pick will convey. So, so Britt, what do you make of that statement? And do you agree with him? Do you disagree with him? Where do you stand? So logically and rationally, he's right. We really can't, you know, fully, um, you know, grade how a trade, you know, happens until years, if not decades afterwards. Um, you can look at, you know, the biggest example, James Harden being traded from um, OKC to Houston, since we are talking about, you know, James Harden. Initially, when he was traded, a lot of people didn't necessarily expect for him to be a superstar. They thought that, you know, maybe it was just, you know, a good move. Like, I I don't think people necessarily thought he was awful, um, other than the folks who said that he was a, you know, he um, choked for you know during the OKC season or series um in the NBA finals versus the Heat even though he was only in his third year as a player um but anyway I I don't want to legislate James Harden's thing but essentially like we didn't know at the time when he was traded for you know the Jeremy Lamb um although we do have a new lamb here um that (laughs) he would be don't don't even talk about the new one I just find it ironic that now we have a, I mean, this is a complete tangent, but I find it ironic that um, the same time that James Harden leaves, we get another lamb to re- return. Although it's And we story. also got, we also got a K Martin. Oh yeah. That's true yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's full circle. Absolutely. But, um, when it comes to, you know, tr- trades and the consequences of those trades, it's not a immediate thing. And especially when it comes to, you know, grading a general manager, how that's graded shouldn't necessarily be on, you know, a single trade that has happened, you know, um, you know, in the last, you know, week or two, it should be what happens moving forward. But there was one comment that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, It was from Ryan McDunham. Um, If you don't know who he is, he was the former GM of the Phoenix Suns. Um, He was the one who he was in the front office when Kevin Booker was drafted into the NBA. Um, He was in the front office and he mentioned on Twitter responding to Raphael Stone's comment that if moves made by a general manager or made by general managers can't be accurately evaluated for nine years, I look forward to my statue unveiling outside of the Suns arena in 2027. 
And I think that's a little bit harsh to say because he was essentially fired by um, Suns management um, after, you know, uh, several years of being um, bad. But I I guess it also shows that Raphael Stone may not have that time to say like, oh, let's just wait 10 years, Um, you know. In theory, yes, that's true that, yes, they should have, you know, as much time as possible to realize the, you know, vision that they have for a team. But if a, um, you know, a team owner or team governor, whatever they're calling themselves these days, doesn't like what they're doing, they can fire them at any time. And it won't matter if in two or three years, the, you know, the draft pick that you made um, or draft selection that you made or the trade that you made to eventually get the, you know, the star player like Chris Paul in the case of the Suns um, happened. And that would be, you know, given to you if, you know, if a governor of a team, if an owner of a team doesn't, you know, buy it, then they'll get fired. So I, I guess I just feel like, yes, it's true, but I don't want to like, you can't ignore that it's not up to the GM whether or not they leave or not in most cases. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ryan McDonough, is that his name? Yep. I mean, first of all, it's just a wildly unprofessional comment to make about another GM. I know he's not working currently. I mean, there's a reason for that. He drafted Devin Booker. Congrats. He led the Suns to a bottom seller team every single season. He was there. He was, was he the one that passed on Luka Doncic to draft DeAndre Aiden? I can't remember, but I think so. I mean, most Although, likely. Yeah. Um, I'll have to look it up now, but I, I would say though, that um, Aiden has been pretty good um, in his position. So I, I think that Luka is probably, you know, far and away a lot better than um, Aiden to a certain extent, but I, I don't think it's ne- it was necessarily like a bad move. Okay. I mean, yes, but Either way, either way, the Suns were the worst team in the league, one of the worst teams in the league for so many years. And now he's going to say that I should get, you're not getting a statue erected. I get it was a joke, but just a weird comment to make when you got let go of your job. Regardless, going back to Raphael Stone, um, I think what he said is interesting. In this, in this kind of time that we live in, people want to see results right away. I'm guilty of that. I mean, I'm like I said in the first segment, I, you know, watching the Rockets right now is tough. I want to see them win games. I want to see them compete. But in a logical sense, he's he's right. You know, these draft picks aren't going to convey for until the last one's in 2027. So we don't necessarily know what the final return for James Harden will be. The one thing that I, as a fan, do want some more transparency on is just what else was out there for James Harden. I know that we were talking to the 76ers a lot. I want I don't know. I don't think we ever really found out for sure if Ben Simmons was being offered, who else was in that trade package. And if there were any other teams that were involved besides the 76ers and the Nets, just as a fan, I would like, I guess, I don't think we're ever going to get that transparency, but I would like to know, I guess, if there were any options, if anything, I'm not saying I'm disappointed in the Nets, in the Nets picks, I just want to know, like, if there was any other options or, or he just, you know, want his, his number one goal was to get James Harden to Brooklyn. 
Yeah. And I think the one thing that we have to keep in mind as well is that I feel like we usually don't hear about the circumstances in full about a, you know, a trade until years later when folks have retired and don't have, you know, a NDA or whatever um, NBA teams sort of put, you know, put um against uh front office personnel and or coaches um so we may not and we may not never know why you know that sort of happened exactly how it did but i i do agree with you that you know it's it was frustrating the way that it ended but i I do want to give stone a little bit more time or at least some more time i won't even say a little bit more time to sort of show what his vision is um but yeah, it would be nice to know exactly, you know, why it happened the way that it did. Well, if I could say, you know, just the one other thing that is frustrating to me, um, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, you know, make these posts like the Rockets traded James Harden, they got Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, uh, whoever, and, and then a bunch of late, late draft picks and pick swaps. And I'm thinking like, The picks and the pick swaps are literally the entire point of the trade. You realize that, right? Like these picks are in 2025, 2026, 2027. They're saying that they're late draft picks. Obviously the Brooklyn Nets are the best team in the league right now, but 2025 is four years from now, then five years from now, six years from now, Kevin Durant is going to be 38 years old. I I doubt that he's even on the team still. And we don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. We don't know what's going to happen with James Harden. I don't think that they're going to be one of the best teams in the league five, six years from now. We just can't predict that there's, and those picks are unprotected too. So there's a good chance that those are very good picks um, that the Rockets will, will be obtaining in those later drafts. Um, so I just don't think it's fair to, to just throw in like, Oh, they got a bunch of late picks in, into like when talking about the return for James Harden, that was literally why they traded with the nets um, why they ended up taking that deal. Yeah. And I think the hard part of this is for a lot of folks is that right now um, we see Ben Simmons, who, you know, potentially was a part of that trade, like you were mentioning, um, being so successful this season. I mean, he's in talks for being defensive player of the year. But on the other hand, we can't ignore that, you know, even if it was sort of swapped to have Ben Simmons instead of um, Oladipo, who is only here for essentially 20 games that would not negate all of the injuries that happened with the Rockets. Like we could be in the exact same position, except that, you know, the guy, you know, Ben Simmons, if this, if that reality happened would be even more disgruntled because he wouldn't be able to necessarily force a trade like Oladipo did. So I, I I feel like the Rockets were snake bitten this season either way. Once James Harden said he was done with the season uh, or with the team, the Rockets. Um, The question is, is that, you know, I, I think the bigger question that we'll eventually have to sort of address in full is if um, Stone waited too long to trade him. Like, it would the Rockets be in a better position if they just immediately traded Harden as soon as he said, like, hey, I wanted to be traded? Um, no, I, I definitely disagree with that. I think that because they held out for, you know, even just a few more weeks, I felt that they got a better – Um, I I felt that they got more picks in return from the Nets than they would have gotten. The Nets basically sent us everything that they had to offer, you know, all the players that they had to offer and all the picks that they had to offer. And it didn't seem like they were offering that originally when the, when the trade reports came out, it seemed like there were less picks involved. 
So I'm glad that, that we waited on that and we're able to get, you know, those few extra picks. Cause like I said, you know, that 2027 pick, for example, that could be extremely, extremely valuable. We just don't know. And I, I have a, like NBA teams, at least in recent years, I feel like maybe other than the Warriors don't stay at the top of the league for that many years. There's so much fluctuation. I mean, we're seeing it right now with the Rockets, you know, it just takes one injury, one, one trade, one mistake. And I, I could totally see that happening with the nets down the line. So I'm excited for those picks to convey for the Rockets and, and see what we can do with them. Yeah. And I guess just to be clear, I do agree with you that it made the most sense at the time to get the picks versus, you know, trading for a player who potentially would be just as disgruntled as Harden was at the time um, and, you know, eventually force a trade. Uh, but I, I think for, you know, fans in general, especially those who disagree about the trade, they just see like, oh, Ben Simmons is being super successful right now. Um, you know, it would have worked better for the long run for us to have someone immediate instead of realizing like it would probably worth you know going to this extent and tanking or rebuilding whatever you want to define this sort of stretches even though i i don't i, I don't think that um it was related to I, I think they were sort of forced to like fully pull the or pull the tank lever or whatever you want to say um because of the 20 game losing streak but it was probably worth doing that anyway just for uh, a lot or for a long-term um, sustained future if Raphael Stone in the front office and Tillman minimizes his um, his micromanagement, I guess is the other thing too. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think I'm happy with how the Harden trade was handled. I'm just, I just think it's funny now that there were so many like media members saying, oh, you have to trade Harden to the Nets. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. And now a couple months later, they turn around and are like, oh my God, the Rockets, they barely got anything for Harden, blah, blah, blah. Like you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't force Harden to go to the Nets and then you can't um, come turn around and say that we got nothing for him. Like this, like we did what Harden wanted. We got picks in return. It is what it is. And we just have to move forward as a franchise and hope and hope that it works out. Yeah, for sure. And I think it, it's it's going to take time to know like the full extent of what happens in the long run, but at least in the near term, folks shouldn't take, you know, um, re-legislate previous trades that have happened under Stone's watch because you don't necessarily like the trade that happened the most rec or most recently. Right. In the press conference, Raphael Stone did make one other kind of big comment talking about the young core of the Rockets and kind of the future that he sees. And we will be talking about that in the next segment. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And we're back here for the third and final segment of the Launchpad podcast. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, please subscribe and give us some stars or likes on whatever platform that you use, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else. We're in this third segment, we're going to talk about the future direction of the team. So Zach, you were mentioning right before the end of the second segment that, um, Raphael Stone had a number of remarks when they came to the young core of the Houston Rockets um, and four players in particular. Um, what was your thoughts about his comments? 
Yeah, so he basically said our core group moving forward, um, our young core moving forward is Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., KJ Martin, and Jay Sean Tate. Um, and as a Rockets fan, this is a very exciting group to look forward to. And I just first off want to say I was dead wrong about KJ Martin. I was on a podcast a few weeks ago. This was while he was still in the G League. Um, and I was not as excited for him to to rejoin the team as my co-host Taylor Pate was. I just didn't I just didn't see him as an NBA player yet, at least at this stage in his career. But he has proved me dead wrong. I mean, he's blocking shots. He's dunking every game. He looks so athletic and it looks like he really has such a carved out place in this league. And I think he has he's just brimming with potential moving forward. So it's just it's just a dream scenario that the Rockets have him on their team right now. And we're able to get him with a second round pick. Um, Then for the other guys. Christian Wood, obviously, we've talked about a ton over the past year. He is, he's an elite-level offensive player who's growing rapidly on defense. I don't know if he – I don't think he's a number one guy per se, but he could definitely be a number two guy on a championship team at some point um, in his career. Hopefully, that's with the Rockets someday. We'll have to see. Kevin Porter Jr., we got him essentially for free. He's been playing the role of ball handler more. You know, he started – that in the G League, he's translated that to the NBA nicely. He looks very comfortable. He looks he looks like he hasn't lost a step from Cleveland. He's only gotten better. I'm glad that we were able to have him on his team. And Jay Sean Tate, obviously, we we talked about him in the first segment. He's just he's just been such a nice surprise for the Rockets. I don't think any of us expected it to go like this uh, with Jay Sean Tate. So I'm excited as a Rockets fan with this core four group moving forward. No, I definitely agree. I I don't think I can add anything more to that outside of like, I feel like that's been the major positive about what has happened so far. Um, I saw a really great point and I'm completely blanking out on who said this. It was actually Roosh. I'm looking at the tweet right now, but um, Roosh was mentioning Roosh Williams, who hosts the Noble and Roosh show. He mentioned that the Rockets... um, sort of have transitioned in the way that they review talent and, you know, select talent to come on the team. Uh, Daryl Morey previously looked more, you know, analytically, which I think is a very valid, you know, process um, that may be controversial depending on who you're talking to when it comes to analytics. But that was his, you know, standard way of um, reviewing talent and determining whether or not a player would be, you know, good for the current roster. And of course, you know, it was successful. He never had a losing season or at least, uh, or for the entire time he was here in the Rockets or well, post Harden um, trade that is. And also he you know, was able to get the team um, built that was able to be, you know, one hamstring away from going to the NBA finals. But it looks as though the, you know, the difference is um, for Raphael Stone is that he looks more for a talent fit, um, which, you know, has pluses and minuses as well. But I think that has allowed for the Rockets to, you know, bring in really good talent. Like you mentioned, Tate has been phenomenal. Um, I feel like the rookie of the year talk is very much valid, even though maybe folks are just saying that to be positive, but you know, just the way that he has improved his defense, even from the NBL um, from his time in the Australia, uh, Australian league up to the NBA. Now his defense has like soared hit, you know, he has 
on both ends of the court improved dramatically. Um, and it, it's just a wonderful to watch him grow. Um, also with KJ Martin, like I, I always thought that he had, you know, those there was potential. It just seemed like he was very um, green and, you know, it was going to take some time to develop that, but he, he looks like a veteran, you know, some nights Um, he, you know, last night he didn't have a block, but in the previous um, five games or four games before that, he had a block um, and even two blocks almost every game. And it was against like some of the best or, you know, some, you know, some very good centers. Um, I mean, I think he had issues with Valentunis last night, but um, you know, I think the Grizzlies are just like a really good team, um, especially, you know, these days, but um and I don't think there's anything more to say about KPJ and Wood other than they have that talent. And according to reports, we've seen that Rafael Stone has, you know, according to reports, which, you know, can be taken with a grain of salt, talked to both Wood and KPJ about the future of the franchise and what they're trying to do this season. And they've they're bought into it. Now we won't know for a while whether or not they're truly brought, bought into it or just said that just to, you know, pacify um the front office but it, it seems as though like regardless of what the result of the season is we won't necessarily lose them um immediately which i think it was the part that was sort of concerning to me um as the losing streak happened and then you know the recent games where they've had you know they're two and two right now post the 20 game losing streak wow I, yeah I, I actually didn't see that comment was that from the press conference as well no, it was a separate um, report that was um, reported by Fagan, I think, either Fagan okay. or um, by The Athletic. Because, yeah, that's huge because, yeah, like you, that was my biggest fear as well. But that's that's a really kind of a, a relief that he he's supposedly talking to Stone about the future of the team and he's involved in those discussions and he's, I guess, excited to be with the Rockets moving forward. So that's that's really good news. Yeah, and I think that, when it comes to the team in general, it, it's just that we we just have to give it time. Like, first of all, I, I hope that there aren't a lot of folks who are expecting the number one pick. Um, I know the Fade for Cade brigade um, is out in full force. And they're out, to- yeah. <laughs> it's not going to work, guys. Yeah. I mean, I won't even say it won't work per se. It's just that folks shouldn't expect it, especially with the changes to the draft lottery that they've talked about in the first segment it's but at the same time I feel as though Raphael Stone you know regardless of what happened with the Oladipo trade which actually looks you know pretty promising with one player which is better than like the zero players that folks thought of before that it, it looks as though he has the ability to sense talent um, and figure out like where they could potentially fit within the team. And I think that's a lot more than what people were expecting a couple of, um, of weeks ago or even a couple of months ago when he was promoted to GM. For sure. And, and one thing that I wanted to ask you was, if from my perspective right now, it seems like if there's one guy who's kind of, I guess, in no man's land right now on this roster, it feels like John Wall. He's a veteran. Uh, is he part of the team's future or do they trade him after this season? What is your take on, you know, where John Wall fits in with the core, the core four that Raphael Stone talks about and if he should stay beyond this season? So this is a hard one. Um, 
for context, John Wall is available for two more seasons. Next season is about like $40 million, but then the year after that, he has a player option. So next year will be probably the best time to trade him since he will have, you know, the ability to, you know, folks will actually have the ability to, you know, get some sort of value for him if he is traded. But at the same time, I, I sort of feel about him the same way that I feel about um, uh, Olenek and a few other of the veterans. Um, it, he has been especially streaky. Uh, he was you know, directly the cause of the first half of the Detroit Piston losses. Um, him and Christian Wood went 0 for 11 and he went 0 for 6, including like this awful stretch towards the end of the game. Um, I talked about this previously and it really, like really frustrated me. But I feel like the last two games, um, even though one was a loss versus the Grizzlies, um, but the second half of that are the uh, Pistons back-to-back. He showed that he could take a backseat and allow for the young players to... Um, you know, to grow. And I think that's what we need. Like if Kevin Porter Jr. is going to be our future point guard, he, it it would be best, especially since he would be transitioning from a more, you know, a point um, uh, or not, or from the, um, from a shooting guard to a point um, that he has people who he can see and, um, show to him how to be a floor general at the NBA level. And John Wall can certainly do that when he's not like, you know, sort of echoing Russell Westbrook in his mid-range random shooter or shots with 15 seconds left in the, on the clock. Um, yeah. I, I just feel like as a player, he's built to want to do too much, um, which credit to him. He's, you know, he's very aggressive. He, wants to play as many games as he can play. He wants the ball in his hands as much as possible. So I think he's still a very valuable NBA player, and I think he's totally overperformed my expectations of him going into the season. I think it's just that I don't necessarily think he fits well with with many of the pieces on this team, especially now a young rebuilding team um, that wants their young players to, to have the ball as much as possible, to see the court as much as possible. I don't think he really fits in that well with Kevin Porter Jr. You know, on on paper, he should fit in well with Christian Wood, but the two don't seem to mesh as well as you want them to on a nightly basis. I don't really know what that divide kind of is. Um, But so, yeah, so moving forward, I just, you know, I think, of course, he, like I said, he has a spot in the NBA as a starter for sure. I just don't know if that is with the Rockets. Yeah, and I think the one thing that is sort of difficult and it's going to be rough moving forward is that his contract, like I said, there's a positive that they can potentially, you know, flip him for uh, another player, but there's still a lot of players who are there's his contract is still massive and it would take multiple players in a package to be able to trade for him. Um, You know, and, and there's very few players who actually match him salary for salary. I, I just don't know 
if the market is going to be available to trade him outright. Um, so he may be around. Um, it sounds like he may go get, you know, a knee scope sometime in the near future. There's been a lot of reports that he has had, you know, various knee issues. And he, you know, according to the last press or the last um, press conference that happened earlier today, um, earlier Tuesday, is that he, it, you know, he's questionable. I think they downgraded mm-hmm. him to like, yeah, it's a questionable right. when it comes to his knee. So it could be possible that he has to get the knee scope and be out for the rest of the season. And that could be, you know, a good thing for some folks since that will allow more of the young players to get time and develop. But I just, I think it's, it's going to be up to stone the front office as well as John Wall um, himself to determine how he would be a best fit or if he's not going to be a fit at all to, you know, move him for good, um, you know, good assets and or players while not, you know, going into like a fire sale mode where you sell or where he, where you trade John Wall for essentially nothing. Yeah. And I feel like the, the knee scope thing, I feel like when, when that news originally came out, he's now playing like more minutes than ever. He's playing back to backs now. So I don't really know what the whole deal with that thing is, but he seems to be playing a ton and shooting a ton. So, but we'll have to see with that. He might get shut down soon, sooner rather than later. So but I guess kind of the last question I had for you was outside of John Wall and the core group, is there, which players on the roster would you like to see on the team next season? Like, is there anyone that you hundred percent still want to be with the Rockets next season? I would say potentially Sterling Brown. So Sterling Brown, even though he, you know, his name has been around for a while, he's relatively young. He's around the same age as Christian Wood. So, you know, if we're talking about, you know, timelines and, you know, the time period for this team to be successful, he's sort of in that same ballpark um, and not that much, you know, younger or older than the rest of the team. As for everyone else, I I think it really just depends. And a lot of that will, you know, sort of be fleshed out as we go through the rest of the season. Um, A lot of them are playing, you know, pretty hard. And I feel like, especially since Oladipo's departure, that the effort that the team has shown has really skyrocketed. Um, I mean, I mentioned earlier about the Lashard Brickley article, which was really great. Um, He, you know, he mentioned that, you know, it may be good to keep folks like um, Olenek. And I'm sort of um, ambiguous about it right now. Um, But I do think that if the vets that um, may potentially stick around are willing to take a, you know, sort of backseat in a role um, player mode um, when it comes to their sort of positions in the team, it, it, it would be useful to, um, accelerate the rebuilding process versus, you know, just letting all of these veterans go and not having veteran influence moving forward for a young team. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Sterling Brown. Another guy we didn't really talk about is DJ Wilson, who I think has shown, you know, a ton of potential in just a few games. Um, so I'd, I'd be interested in keeping him around and seeing seeing what he can bring to the table. And then probably Eric Gordon, who's who's a veteran presence, but who's who's a veteran that's content to come off the bench um, and not, you know, play that many minutes. I think that he'd be have, I'm, I'm excited for him to stay on the roster and kind of at least maintain some normalcy. I mean, this entire roster looks totally different than it did two years ago now. So 
it's nice to have some familiar face at the very least. So that's, that's really why I want Eric Gordon to say. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm excited for kind of some fresh faces next season out, outside of the guys we, we talked about. Yep. Um, did you want to talk about anything else before you wrap up? No, I, I mean, you know, this, this has been uh, a tough season, but hopefully the draft lottery works our way. It's, it's, it's going to be close. June 22nd is going to define a lot of things for this Rockets franchise. So, you know, we just got to, we just got to hope for the best, um, but it, it's going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, I think either way, it's ultimately a sport um, and ultimately not as <laughs> yeah, important yeah, as people yeah. assume. Um, I mean, it, of course it's heartbreaking and all that other stuff, but um, they'll be okay. Um, you know, regardless of what happens, um, like I said, as long as, um, things go in a positive direction we can at least look forward to the youth movement that is a good way of looking at it for sure well thank you zach so much for joining me today it's been great to talk about the rockets um regardless of the winning or losing record of them yeah it's it's been a lot of fun yep and that's going to do it for today's episode so if you haven't done so already please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on itunes spotify or wherever wherever else you listen to your podcast And be sure to follow at Apollo HOU for blogs, merch, video podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else. As always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Launchpad podcast covering your Houston Rockets.